I want to see the manager. How many of us don't hear that in everyday life all the time? We have whole categories of jokes on the internet and memes about the kind of person that asks to see the manager. But it makes sense in some cases to ask to see the manager. Why do people ask to see the manager? They ask to see the manager because they want to feel important. And the best way to feel important, the best way to feel that somebody cares about you, that a company cares about you, is to talk to somebody higher up. Well, imagine for a minute that I walked onto a job site, a construction site, and the first person to greet me is the CEO of the company. He's the master craftsman running the project. He's the owner of the building, and he comes and shakes my hand, and he says, Jeffrey, I can tell you anything and everything you've ever wanted to know about this building. I know it inside and out. I own it. I can give you opportunities to be in it, and I can show you the blueprints because I drew them, and I can show you everything I have planned for this. If I looked at that guy and said, well, it's nice to meet you, but I would rather talk to Fred, the first-year journeyman who you put in charge of putting in light bulbs about his plans for the building and what he thinks about the ins and outs of everything and, and how he thinks I should get into the building, you wouldn't think I'm smart. You'd think I'm foolish. Well, and, and, and again, that's not a dig on journeymen. Journeymen are important. They're vital to finishing the project. They work hard to get their licensing. This isn't a dig on journeymen, but journeymen work for somebody. And that's what the passage is getting at today. Journeymen work for somebody, and Moses was God's journeyman. Moses was Christ's journeyman. Christ is the master craftsman, and Moses is his journeyman. So Moses works for Jesus. Christ is Moses' boss. In the past couple of weeks, we've seen how Hebrews has been preaching to people who want to go back to the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law. They want to go back to the Old Testament practices, and they want to kiss a picture of a photograph, or in a photograph, when the person the photograph is of is standing right next to them. And we've also seen how Hebrews has shown us that Christ is the real thing. Christ is the real thing. If you have Jesus, you have the thing that the Old Testament was always pointing toward. If you have Jesus, you have a better word from somebody who's better than the angels, and you have a better high priest who can really help you because he's really a human, and so he can represent your human interests before the Father. But now Hebrews has taken us on a detour for a minute, and he's going to talk about the most respected human messenger in Old Testament history. We've talked a lot about the, the Old Testament as the message delivered by angels, but now we're going to look at the most respected human messenger in Old Testament history. And he's going to show us, he's going to allude to the story of Moses, and he's going to show us why Jesus is better than Moses. And he's going to show us that Jesus was always the point that Moses was talking about. Moses' job was always to glorify Jesus. So we'll look at this in three points this morning. First, who's Moses? Secondly, who does Moses work for? And third, what's the project they're working on? Who's Moses? Who does Moses work for? And what's the project they're working on? So first, who's Moses? And the first thing we know from Old Testament scriptures is that Moses is what we call, big word here, paradigm prophet. Moses is the paradigm prophet. And what we mean by that is he's the prophet of all prophets. He's the model prophet. He's the example prophet. And he's really the best prophet in all the Old Testament scriptures. And we know that from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 18... When God promises Jesus, what does God promise? He says, he, he speaks through the mouth of Moses, and Moses gets up there and he says, 
God will raise from among you a prophet like me. Prophet like me, Moses is saying that, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. So Moses, when promising Jesus, promises somebody like himself. Moses is important. When Moses dies, Deuteronomy 34 says that there's not another prophet like him in all Old Testament history. When Miriam and Aaron start speaking out against Moses in Numbers 12, Yahweh comes down in a fire and a cloud into the tent of meeting, and he meets them at the front of the tent of the meeting, and he stands there in a pillar of cloud, and his anger is kindled, and he says, don't you know who this is? He says, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. That's how prophets normally go. Not with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. That's what our passage was talking about today. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Moses is the one that God uses to write the first five books of the Bible. Moses is the one that God speaks to in the burning bush. Moses is the one that is the mouthpiece of God before Pharaoh. Moses does signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit in Egypt. And, and these are signs and wonders of such magnitude that the whole land's impacted. And the firstborn of every Egyptian family dies at the end of this. Moses is the one who God uses to bring his people out of Egypt and and through the sea. God uses Moses to lead his people in the wilderness, to feed his people in the wilderness, and to give his people water in the wilderness. Moses is important. Moses got to live in a tent outside the camp. When they're living in the wilderness, Moses has a tent outside the camp, and he lives with God in there. It says that the pillar went in there and lived with him and talked with him at that tent outside the camp. So Moses is the one whom God speaks to, or to whom God speaks, mouth to mouth. God calls Moses to come up to Sinai and speak to him mouth to mouth there. God gives Moses the law on tablets of stone that God himself carved with his fingers. And so that means that Moses touched and carried things that God touched. Moses is important. Moses is the one that intercedes for God's people when God wants to destroy them. God wants to destroy his people, and Moses says no, and he pleads the promises of the Lord to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you put your name on these people. You made promises to their fathers. Don't destroy them for your name's sake, and God listens, and so Moses is the one that can ask God. He he finds favor in God's sight, and he can ask God, Lord, show me your glory, and the Lord passes by him in the cleft of the rock. Moses got to see God. Not the face, but the afterparts. Moses got to see that. Moses is the one, he comes down from Sinai and he doesn't know it, but the skin on his face is glowing and he has to put a veil on his face because the glory is too much for people to handle. So Moses is important. That's Moses. Moses is God's great prophet. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about Moses being God's paradigm prophet. He's the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. But our text this morning says, what does our text this morning say? Our text this morning says, Moses is a faithful servant in God's house. He's a faithful servant 
in God's house. Moses works for somebody else. He's God's journeyman. He's qualified to be building, but he works for somebody else. He works for a master craftsman. And that brings us to our second point. Who does Moses work for? And as one of my profs likes to say, Moses works for Jesus. Look with me at verse 5 for a second. Verse 5. Verse 5 of our passage, Hebrews 3, verse 5. Now Moses, for his part, faithful in all of God's house as a servant, with regard to testimony about the things we're talking about. Moses is a faithful servant in God's house with regard to testimony about the things that we're talking about. So Moses was all the things that we already talked about in point one. He's the paradigm prophet of the Old Testament. He's the mouth of God that spoke to God mouth to mouth. God spoke to him like somebody talks to their friend, the scripture says. And Moses' job, though, so, so Moses is important, but verse 5 says that Moses' job was to testify to the things we're talking about. Moses was talking about Jesus Don't miss that phrase. The result of everything that Moses was supposed to do, the result of the job that Moses was put on, the project within the project that Moses was supposed to do, was to testify to the things we're talking about. Moses was always a journeyman working for Christ, the master craftsman. His job was always part of that larger project, and his job was to point us to the one that Moses was talking about. Listen to that one. Listen to him. Moses was always working for Jesus. His job was to testify about Jesus. So, see, there are a lot of, there are a lot of well-meaning people out there that want to say that God had multiple plans throughout history, and Moses was just one of those plans. So the garden was a plan, Moses was a plan, and Jesus happens to be the plan we're on, but at the end times there will be another plan of salvation that sounds an awful lot like a series of tap, terrible action movies rather than something that you would find in the Scriptures. But those people are wrong. They're mistaken. We love them, but they're wrong. Jesus isn't plan B in salvation history. Jesus isn't plan B. He's plan A from before time began. All scriptures were pointing to him. And and as we looked at in chapter 1, when we saw Hebrews saying God was speaking at many times in many places, it wasn't the point that God had changed his mind a bunch of times and places. It's that God, in those various times that he revealed his will through all the different covenants, through all the different books of the Bible, God was speaking in great detail about one thing. The many times and the many places were great detail about one thing. They were all about Jesus. It's great detail that was all about Jesus. One plan of salvation, and Moses was part of that plan to, to point to Christ. So Moses wasn't there to reveal some weird plan of works righteousness that God realized was a mistake at about AD 3 or so. He was testifying to the things that we're talking about. Moses was there to talk about Jesus. He was there to talk about Jesus who would come and obey the law for us. Moses was there to be our better priest, to be our better sacrifice, and to bring us into the eternal land, because the land of Canaan was never the point. Hebrews is going to tell us that later on in chapter 11. Abraham was never really concentrated on that physical land. The point of Moses and Abraham dealing with that land was always the promise of new creation. Abraham was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and designer was God. And so that brings us back to verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, for this reason, holy brothers, sharers in a heavenly calling, 
observe, understand, apprehend, grasp. Grasp the apostle and high priest of our calling, Jesus, of our confession, Jesus. He's the faithful one who was appointed, or he's faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all his house. See, Christ is the better Moses, and he's the one that Moses was always working for. The point of Moses was always to point toward Christ and to be faithful in Christ's house, and that's what Hebrews is saying. The point here, the phrasing can be a little ambiguous, but the point is not that Moses was faithful in Moses' house and Christ was faithful in Christ's house. The point is that Moses was faithful in Christ's house. When it says Moses was faithful in all his house, it's saying Moses was faithful to Jesus. When God used Moses to lead his people, to bring them out of Egypt, and and to give them the law and lead them, Moses was working on Jesus' house. He was building the church. Moses was a servant that God used to build Messiah's people, but Moses was always looking forward to Messiah. When God sent Moses to be a prophet and to be a teacher to reveal his will, it was always with the goal that God would send Jesus to be our chief prophet and chief preacher and chief teacher who would fully reveal to us the secret counsel of God concerning our deliverance. And as one of my professors put it, that means that even though Moses is great, we, we looked at point one, Moses is awesome, but Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. And that's what verse 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Moses was always an employee working for God and working for Jesus. And that was, or Moses was also working on a building that he himself was part of. Jesus, though, owns the building. Jesus is the master craftsman who built, designed, and owns that house. So Jesus is better than Moses because of who he is and what his position is. Moses is the one that God used to give his people the law. Jesus wrote the law and Jesus came to fulfill the law. Moses was the one who could plead the promises of God. In that episode after the golden calf, Moses pleads the promises of God to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel, not to destroy his people for his name's sake. Jesus not only pleads those promises to the Father, He is those promises. Jesus is the substance of all and the fulfillment of all those promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Israel. Moses is the one who got to live with God in an earthly tent. But you know who Jesus is? He's the one, John says, he came to us from the bosom of the Father. Jesus is one with the Father in all eternity, before time began, before creation. So Jesus didn't just get to live with God in an earthly tent for a while. He is God. Moses is the one who got to get a glimpse of the glory of God. Remember, Moses comes down from Sinai and his face is shining. Well, what did we read in chapter 1? When we looked at chapter 1 of Hebrews, what does Hebrews say Jesus is? Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is the shining of the face of Moses. Moses was only reflecting the shining radiance of Jesus. So Jesus is the Lord and the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the son who made the world and everything in it. And the son is the one who told Moses where to put some frames up. Moses was important. God used him. But 
God always used Moses to build a house that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned to make in all eternity. And they were already building it in the garden. And that brings us to the point three. Last point. So what? What was the project they were working on? What was the project they were working on? And what we're going to see is that the project they were working on is the church. And uh, it's the church of Jesus Christ that we believe and confessed existed before the beginning of the world and will last to its end. It's a gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ and being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So Moses was working on the Old Testament church, but that church was always the church of Christ. It was one church that existed from the garden until today, and it's the church that's going to exist till the end of time. And that church was always saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. That church always had one plan of salvation, and it was Jesus. Moses was working for Jesus. And so the so what, the point to take away from today is that if you want to come to the church that Moses went to, you should come to this church. You should come to Jesus. Moses was a faithful servant in all God's house to testify to Christ, and that means that the house that Moses helped to build is this house right here. We're in the church and the house that Moses helped build by the power of the Holy Spirit through the plan of God. It might seem like those Jewish priests wearing the clothes that Moses stitched together and worshiping and serving a tent with all the, the, the bowls and the altar and the ark and the lamps and the lavers and all the furniture that Moses made. And it might seem like those Jewish priests who, who are wearing those clothes, using that furniture and killing animals and spreading blood everywhere, just like Moses told them to do. It might seem like those guys are going to Moses' church. It might seem like that temple is the house that Moses built, but it's not. The house that Moses worked on is the body of Christ. It's here today. We're in the house that Moses worked on. And the church that Christ was always building is a temple not made by hands. And Moses went to that church. He went to our church. So if you want to worship in the way that Moses would think you should worship, you should come to Christian worship on the Lord's Day. Moses was a servant working for the house that Jesus built, and he was a faithful servant who testified to the things that we're talking about. That was Moses' job, to testify to the things we're talking about. Moses worshiped Jesus. Moses was a Christian. Moses was a Christian. But secondly, notice that if you want to come to Moses' church, you've got to come to church. When the Bible talks about salvation, of course, it's talking about individual souls being saved. Your soul is individually right before Christ. But Christianity isn't individual. Christ saved a body. Christ saved a house. We're his house. We're a house made from lots of people. We don't, Christi we don't do Christianity alone. And so Hebrews 10 is going to tell us part of our calling now in light of Christ is to come together and to stir one another up to love and good works because we are recognizing the reality of what's already there. Christianity is corporate and we're his house. No brick just sitting on the driveway is considered a house by itself. We're a house because we're bricks together. We're his house. We're his body. So we join us or we, we join together. We join the church. And so if we want to come to the church Moses went to, not only do we come to Christian church, but we come to church. We do that, we, we go to the church Moses went to by coming together as one body, the body of Christ, and it's a house that Moses helped build. It's one church, one body. But then 
The final implication here is that this is one church, but it's always had the same realities, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The same reality is this. There have always been people who are here externally. They're visible members, but they're not members of the invisible church. They're visible members, but they're not members of the invisible church. In all of covenant history, there have always been people who are members of Christ's church externally, but not internally. There have always been people who have been once enlightened through baptism, tasted of the heavenly gift at at the supper, and shared in the Holy Spirit by the preached word of Christ. And yet, those people who are visible church members are not invisible church members. They can be members of the church outwardly, but they can show by their actions that they were never one of us. And and that's really important for this passage because it's the only way verse 6 makes sense. Verse 6 of our passage today. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are in his, his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 6, that if only makes sense if we understand the distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. Because that if is a scary if, if that's not what it's talking about. So verse 6 is not telling you that Christ saves you and you're in by grace and you stay in by holding really firm to your confidence. That is not what verse 6 is saying. What verse 6 is saying is that if you really want to be part of Moses' church, you also have to join Moses, the, the invisible church that Moses is part of by professing the faith that Moses had. So don't just be an, a visible member. Be an invisible member by faith. If you want to be part of that house, the only way to do that is to make the benefits of Christ yours by faith. So believers, This passage is not telling you that you can lose your salvation by losing your confidence. If you have trusted in Christ, if you believed his gospel, you're in. It's not a matter of your grasp on him. It's a matter of his hold on you. These warning texts are not for believers. They're for unbelievers. And those unbelievers are those members of the visible church who are not members invisibly. So there are those who show by leaving the church that they were never one of us. They went out from us, but they were never of us. There are those who try and go back to works righteousness. There are those who try and go back to the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law and try and go back to the laws of Moses and use them apart from Christ. And what they show us by doing that is that they were never one of us. There are those that show by their actions that even though they hung out with us externally, even though they received the same word and the same sacraments as us, that they weren't united to Christ by faith. So next week, we'll look a little bit more at how, because these realities are the same, the reality of the invisible and the visible church is a reality. These warnings are the same in the Old and the New Testament. The warning is this, don't commit the sin of unbelief. Old Old Testament people could commit the sin of unbelief and not be joined to Christ and not come into the land. New Testament believers can commit, or not believers, New Testament church members can commit the sin of unbelief and show that they were never believers and not enter into the eternal land. That's what Moses is teaching us. But believers, and leave with this, leave with this, believers. If you have Christ, you have a place in the house of God You can't lose it. 
It's a sturdy house. It's a house that Moses built. And it's a house that Moses is part of. Moses is one of the builders of this house, working under the master craftsman, Jesus Christ. But Moses is also one of the materials that God used. In Revelation 21, we see the same reality, that the new city that comes down from above the heavenly Jerusalem is a church made of people. It's a bride. It's a building that's its walls and its gates are made of people. And, and so Moses, in many ways, is like a gingerbread man living in a gingerbread house. He's what the walls are made of. But believers, if you believe in Christ, you have the real thing. You have a place in the house that God was planning to build from before the beginning of the world, and you go to church with Moses. And the everlasting God purpose to build you into his house because he's your refuge. You can say with Moses, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If you believe in Christ, you have Moses as God and you belong to him. And, and he lives in you and he sent Christ to be the high priest of your confession, to make you clean and to bring you to himself. Moses' job was to testify to those things, and God promised those things through Moses. But he sent his son, and he fulfilled them in his son. So the, the big question today was, what does Moses the gopher have to say? Moses the gopher says, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. He's the one greater than me that God raised up. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.